We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This thing on? See, now I'm getting mad. Because it's getting ready to be on. I want my whiskey to bite me a little bit. This is the kind of psychopath that I hang out with. I got beat up outside of a Denny's. The Rock Pile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. He likes to get in the ex's nose. Something I can't do with this podcast because I drink too much. Chris Kruger. My rollerblading blonde mohawk producer. The pettiest, hardest drinking Bills podcast. I'm an adult. I know what I'm about. From the lovely confines of my South Buffalo apartment, it's the Rockpile Report. I am your producer, Chris Kruger, and with me, as always, my voiceless, recovering from getting sick from his own son, Drew Gear. Anybody who says that kids aren't just germ bags, like I, I digress, sir. I, 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 I don't, I don't know. I, I, I dispute this claim. People love their kids. I love my kid. But Jesus, this you, kid brings home more colds. It, you sound you better. You would think he's doing it intentionally like the early settlers did to the, did, did the Native Americans. Like every time I turn around, this kid is bringing another illness through the front door and handing it to me. You sound better than you did on Sunday. This is it. This is the best my voice has sounded in over a week, which is why we're podcasting so late in the week, folks. I'm glad, though, that we can all get together. You know, we've uh, by now you've heard, by I'm sure heard our Super Bowl recap podcast, and we talked a little bit about the Bills being betting favorites next year for a Super Bowl. Number I saw number two. It's crazy. Yeah, w- wild times to be alive, and we're still kind of in that weird space where it still feels too early to jump right into all the free agency talk. Right? I mean, franchise tags haven't even been handed out yet. Yeah. So it feels I, I am I am dreading listening to you spew your nonsense of who you think we should go after in free agency because occasionally you, I hit one. You're going to be right on one of them. And it, and it irritates you that sometimes I know what the hell I'm talking. Yeah, about. I want to throw this microphone across the room. Listen, listen. And sometimes like Ty and Secchi, they work right. I'll take that victory lap for as long as I possibly can. But. Free agency feels so premature without free franchise tags do a ton to affect the market. And it just feels like there hasn't been enough chatter. 
and I haven't really, I know other shows are already doing it, but it just feels premature to me to jump into that type of conversation before we really know what the markets are going to look like with franchise tags and various valuations that are still out there that need to be calculated. So it's nice to be able to take an opportunity like this on a week when maybe I don't have the the most boisterous of uh, vocal capabilities to take a look at some other stories that I don't think are getting nearly enough press. And there's two of them with the big one being how it's all quiet on the Orchard Park front in relation to the new Bills stadium. And also the situation involving the Buffalo Bills season tickets and the cost of tickets increasing yet again for another consecutive year. So we're officially in the off season. And yet there's two things that didn't get the attention from the content creation community here surrounding the Buffalo Bills that I feel like they deserve amid the people talking free agency already before the franchise tags have been settled or before we can even get information as to who might be franchise tagged and how that might affect various markets. Um, I, I don't know. People talking combine, people talking draft prospects before <laughs> all of this stuff. It's it just feels premature, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. You gotta hit pre agent once once we get some free agents in here, then that you, from that you kinda figure out, all right, this is what we're probably gonna end up doing in the draft. And since we kind of do things our own way anyway, instead of giving into the urge to try to keep up with the Joneses, we're gonna instead talk about these two painfully under discussed topics that absolutely impact every fan of this team in one way or another. The latest ticket price increase and the unsettling amount of silence from New York State and the Buffalo Bills on the state of stadium negotiations and why that's important. Because I feel like the timetable that exists might not be what the casual Bills fan thinks it is and may not understand the importance of it. Let's start with the ticket prices, Chris. Usually Fridays are known for being a bad news dump for the NFL, right? And it makes sense. You just watch Thursday Night Football. Everybody's gearing you. Everybody who cares about it is looking ahead to the weekend games. Gamblers are already busy looking over injury reports. Uh, fantasy football players are trying to get their last uh, waiver wire transactions in. They're trying to negotiate trades beforehand. People are looking at the betting lines. So that makes a good time of the week that if you have bad news to drop, you just kind of sneak it in there. They do it with the police blotter stuff. They do it with fines being handed out they do it with suspensions being doled out it's always on a friday so it's fitting that last friday news broke that the bills will be raising season ticket prices for the 2020 season after just raising them a season before at the beginning of 2021 and it was met with a lot of the typical grumbling you hear i mean i've got a couple of what someone remedial sauce on twitter teams make so much on tv rights merchandise concessions and parking what's wrong with keeping ticket prices affordable uh, somebody named Big Rick Go Bills. Chris, what a name. Yeah. Big Rick Go Bills. Bills Mafia, if you're, season, if you're a season ticket holder, you're spelled Y-O-U-R. Make sure you check your new invoice in your account. Happen to look today. There's a ticket price increase. Questioning emoji. I got no notice. Just hello, good morning. You owe us more money. <sighs> I, I understand. In fact, Chris, I'll say this. I was a little bit surprised that there wasn't so much complaining about it. Yeah, well, I'm, we need Ryan Lysel in for this to communicate with the pores. 
I don't think it's about like, communicating with the poor. Did you not? Like, I expected the ticket prices to go up. So you, so you were anticipating a price increase? Yeah. I, I assumed. I mean, Chris, if you pull up the notes that I sent you, you take a look. The average ticket price, I've included a graph that, unfortunately, I didn't have time to make my own. But from Statista.com. The average ticket price for Buffalo Bills home games from 2006 to 2021. When you look at what some of those numbers were, Chris, for 2021 at 8249 for the average ticket price, that's the second highest they've been since 2006. If you go back to 2006, they were $41.29. How absurd is that? That's insane. We've been dwelling in the basement of what NFL tickets cost for so long that I think people have gotten used to it. We still have to be in the basement. We still are in the lower third of what they cost. And here's the worst part. When you look at this slow climb of each one of these years, 2012, 2013, 2014, the kind of and, and it even went down from 2012 to 2013. Here's the thing, Chris. I was there. I was there for all of this. We bought our tickets in 2012. At that point, our season tickets were $275 for the entire season. All eight games for less than $300. I I specifically remember that number because my ex told her coworkers about it during a meeting. And they basically tried to paint me as a liar who didn't want her to know how much money I was spending behind her back. But I guess I, I could see a little bit of the reaction. I mean, it sounds absurd that NFL tickets were that cheap. You're talking a little less than $40 a game in 2012. That, that's, that's, that sucks. But there was a cost to those cheap tickets. Chris, read the, read the people, this tweet from Sal Marana from 2010 that I dug up. Yeah, it's everybody's uh, favorite Bills beat reporter from Rochester. Uh, February 12, 2010, Sal tweeted out, Bills announced slight increase in price of 2010 tickets. But average of fifty nine nineteen is still cheapest in the NFL, given the product it should be. He's absolutely correct. I was I was paying for season tickets, and the football that I was being subjected to. Oh no, I've, I've got a list. Twenty thirteen, back in twenty thirteen, we were paying two seventy five. The Bills blew a fourth quarter lead to the Patriots to open the season. Jeff Toole threw the famous 100-yard goal line pick six that cost us another game. And thanks to Toronto, one of the first times you and I ever watched a football game together, we we only got one home game from November 17th to the end of the NFL season. That sucked. In 2014, the Bills scored 17 points or less an absurd eight times. They brought in Uncle Rico, Kyle Orton, to try to save the fortunes of the franchise. He threw five memorable passes. Can you, how many plays can you remember from that season that Kyle Orton made for us? The touchdown throw to Sammy Watkins against Minnesota. Okay. And there might have been the same game. He threw a crossing route to Robert Woods. And he fumbled. And he fumbled. And I told my father-in-law at the time, I go, oh, the Bills should challenge that, that it was incomplete. Doug Marone did. Won the challenge. Uh, I remember a Colts game. Do you remember a Colts game where there was a kid with a laser pointer in the stands? And it became a big brouhaha? I remember the laser pointer thing. Okay. 
that's it. I remember him throwing a pass to get us in field goal range to win the game, and that's it. The rest of his career was just nothing but checkdown passes that we've all collectively erased from our memory with booze because that year was so terrible, and we walked out of a season-ending wind over Green Bay thrilled, not realizing it was the last time Doug Marone would ever make us happy again. That baloney-eating son of a bitch quit on us on New Year's Eve and sent us back into another coaching search. And then what came after wasn't much better. I paid $400 for the Rex Ryan era, right? I paid like $395, I want to say. And it was kind of worth it. The Bills started scoring more. They had 10 games of 22 points or more, which you'd think was an improvement. But it wasn't because they somehow lost four of them. Imagine losing four games where you score more than 22 points. Yeah. Rex Ryan showed up and pissed all over our defense. For the price of four four Ben Franklins, I got to hear on the radio walking back to my truck on Christmas Eve that we had 10 men on the field for a 54-yard Jay Ajayi run to set up the game-winning field goal. We gave up 37 points in a home-opening loss to the friggin' Jets where we fired Greg Roman and it made Geno Smith look like a real quarterback. And there was a December game that I remember against Cleveland. We had th- we only had three seats at the time. Was this... Um... <clears throat> no, this was not the game you came to. All right. It was a December game. My friend Dan had already sold his ticket to somebody else way earlier in the season because he had plans. There were supposed to be family plans, a kid's birthday party, whatever the hell was going on. Last minute, he decided, hey, his plans got canceled. I'm going to go to... I'm going to drive to Buffalo, meet up with the guys and go to the game. The tickets... Had go- on StubHub were going for with fees less than fourteen dollars. He sold his ticket for thirty eight dollars, which was the face value, to somebody else, and then bought another ticket and came. And the seats were so empty that there was a drunk guy behind us, like two rows up, who was just passed out, laying down on his stomach on the bleachers. And there was so few people that he wasn't actually bothering anybody. So the ushers just let him stay. How pathetic. Chris, do you remember that scene at the beginning of uh, Major League where there's nobody in the stands, just like three guys, and they just sit around and heckle people? Yeah. That's what it was like being in that stadium. And I was paying almost $400 for it. We've somehow crawled out of that cesspool and find ourselves, as we discussed last week or the last show, betting favorites to make make and win a Super Bowl. And you're telling me it's only going to cost another $11 a game? Thank you very much! Finally, somebody's got a brain in here! Anybody who says that that's a bad deal, I, I want to know what you thought. Who are, What do you negotiate? What do you spend your money on? Uh, I mean, if this walk down memory lane doesn't underscore it, we're again, we're talking about actual entertainment value per dollar. Chris, the extra 80-something dollars that each one of us is going to pay for our season tickets this year, how much more would you pay to ensure that this team is... In fact, let me ask this in a better way. What's the maximum you would pay to watch a team that was going to go to the Super Bowl? If I said, hey, here's a team that's a one-in-five shot of going to the Super Bowl. Within my my income level and uh, ability to pay you for our season tickets, because all of the tickets that we have are in your name, I'd probably go up to like uh, 
probably two grand for the season. Okay. So that just underscores for you that for people who have suffered the way we have, guys like me and Chris who have been attending this, these disasters for years, the, whatever it costs is negligible. It's the value you're getting in return for the cost that I think should be, shouldn't that take precedent? Yeah. And if people have sticker shock, I mean, and I know that this is probably a really, this is where you make your joke about Ryan Lacell coming on and talking about, talk, you know, you, you and Ryan will joke about the quote unquote, the pores, but this is where you have to really look at yourself and say, look, I get it that you're not happy that this thing costs more. First of all, there's natural inflation, but second of all, $11 is approximately what a full size beer. Chris, if you were to go out to one of the concession stands and get a full size can of beer, yeah, I've never it's, bought a. I've never bought a beer at the stadium. I I've done it here and there. Yeah. So it's a. I want to say it's maybe eighteen bucks. Eighteen dollars for a twenty four ounce can. So if that's eighteen dollars and this is an eleven dollar increase for that game, if the idea that you can't buy that one beer precludes you attending at all, I then maybe you should go. <laughs> Maybe you should stay home and watch it on TV. You'd be comfortable. You wouldn't be spending the money that you'd be earmarking for this football game. And honestly, Chris, the NFL is laid out as such. I think we talked about it when we were talking about the COVID shows. The NFL is the only league that makes more money off their TV deals than they make off stadium you know, gate receipts and stadium concessions. They're the only North American sports league that can say that. So if anything, the league wouldn't mind if you stayed home because it pads their TV numbers. It's... I get it. People don't want to pay more. But when you look at the dollar for dollar for better entertainment value, I would spend far more than this. And I'm fully prepared to when the new stadium gets built. If it gets built. And that brings us to the second half of this discussion. It is all quiet on the Orchard Park front, and I don't like it. I think it stinks. And I'll tell you why. In all of the pre-Super Bowl fanfare that 75% of football fans aren't actually paying attention to, Roger Goodell was put behind a number of microphones. And while most of what he had to say was throwaway commentary to most Bills fans, there was something that stood out when he was asked about the state of the Bills stadium. This is a direct quote. I'm encouraged by the progress that's being made both at the state level and county level with the club. The governor, Kathy Hochul, stepped into a very difficult challenge because when she came into office, not only is the lease up in another year, but the stadium has been studied by experts and it's reaching the end of its useful life for that stadium. Now, none of that's anything new. And yet, the last statement he made was kind of odd considering that, Chris, up to this point, anyone you've talked to publicly prior to maybe a week or two ago, everything seemed like it was trending in the right direction, right? Yeah. Between fans, between whatever whatever the newspapers are printing out. Even if you're not a fan of the Dome, things were trending positively. And then Goodell hits us with this. But there's a lot to negotiate here. Not just how this is done, but also the lease. So I'm not disappointed in the timing necessarily. I'm more interested in making sure that we balance everything fairly and put ourselves in the best position of really giving the fans what they deserve in Western New York, which is a stadium that's new and can serve the purposes of that community for several decades. And it's noted that the Pagulas will sign an extension on Highmark Stadium lease only if an agreement can be reached on a new stadium. 
It seems kind of odd to end on a down note like that, doesn't it? It does. To me, it it smells like some top shelf politicking. And for that, I, I give Goodell a round of applause. Because you're being very political about something that's, I don't know. I, there, there's a re, there's a reality to these negotiations. It's the it's the elephant in the room. It is a difficult puzzle to unravel. The least that Goodell is referring to is their current pact with Erie County to occupy the existing stadium in Orchard Park. It's a lease that cost the county a few hundred million in renovations and tax breaks, and it tied the bills to New Western New York through the summer of 2023. Now, they've already gone on record as to say that they will not sign an extension here if they don't know that a new stadium is imminent. <clears throat> so for anyone counting at home, that's less than two years from today. So there's a clock that's ticking for the Buffalo Bills and New York State to come to an agreement. Now, just a few months ago, we were all arguing about Dome versus Open Air, Downtown versus Orchard Park, and despite all the grumbling and the frustrations, they were born from a sense of optimism that the deal would get done. We all just wanted to see it get done in the way that we preferred. So with that in mind, the relative silence from both the team, the city, and the state, it's becoming unnerving to me. And in some cases, I'm starting... I'm starting to see that things might not come together as quickly as we all might have thought they would. Now, this is a quote from County Executive Mark Polinkars when he was talking to local reporters just two weeks ago. You've heard me say this before. It's a very complicated transaction. There's a lot of moving parts. We have lots of talks in the past few weeks. I'm not going to say that we're going to get it done based on any particular timeline associated with what the governor wants, but I think we've made a lot of progress. That doesn't sound, Chris, like it's overflowing with optimism, does it? It does not. The timeline that he's, he's alluding to is interim Governor Kathy Hochul's expressed desire to have the stadium situation negotiated before the April 1st deadline for the New York State budget to get finalized. And while that deadline has been flexible in the past for some politicians, I mean, Governor Cuomo last year pushed it into like May. It's not only unpopular, and it's usually met with a fight, but it's also something that someone who's hoping to run a successful campaign to get the job full time next November, she has to avoid that because it'll be weaponized against her po uh, politically if she can't get the budget finalized and submitted by April 1st. So we've quickly got a deadline approaching <clears throat> and people close to it aren't doing backflips over the progress that, that's been made. There's a few reasons that that's a terrible thing for the future of the Buffalo Bills here in Western New York. One, I'll start, start with the first one. The Bills refuse, because it's basically their leverage, to sign in the extension to continue playing football in Western New York without a deal in place to build the stadium. The problem is that there are no suitable alternatives readily available anywhere else here within the borders of New York State that will allow them to still find a Buffalo-adjacent home while negotiations continue should they take longer than July of 2023. Rochester and Syracuse are non-starters. And for anyone who thinks the Carrier Dome is an option, I, I hope you're not also one of the people who bitches about game day experience here in Buffalo because that place is subpar even by NCAA standards. There's nowhere for them to quote-unquote go, go for a little while while they figure out the rest of the stadium details, right? Yeah, what was uh, mentioned er <clears throat> earlier this fall? Wasn't it Penn State? Penn State. 
Because okay. the, the Pagulas have uh, money. Okay. Pen, they, right, they have the hockey rink is named after them. Yes. Now, that's an emergency option, but this is the team's leverage, right? Yeah. The fact that this, this needs to get done, and we have a timetable. And time is more an enemy than a friend here, because for anyone doubting how quickly a stadium move can happen... Here's because I've I've seen this. Well, it would take the Bills so long to move and blah, 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 blah. They'll get something negotiated beforehand. On November 8th, 2016, the city of San Diego voted not to pay for a Chargers stadium. On January 12th, 66 days later, the team announced it was intent to leave San Diego. And on August 13th, 218 days from that announcement, the Chargers kicked off their opening preseason game of the season inside of some soccer stadium in Southern California. The failure to maintain ownership of a team and its relocation, right, for for a state, takes less than 300 calendar days now. So anybody thinking that the timeline involved would somehow preclude the Bills from making good on what seems to be this veiled threat to relocate should realize that with all the groundwork and back-channeling going on, it's not unreasonable to believe that absent an imminent contract, the team could absolutely pack up and leave well in advance of the 2023 football season. And then there's the big one here. Why the April 1st budget deadline really has the state and the team in a bind. We're in a weird situation. One that from all the history I was able to dig through before this podcast, it's one of the first times an NFL team has been trying to negotiate a stadium deal with a sitting politi- a group of sitting politicians that, especially a governor that doesn't have more than a few months of time holding the job and also doesn't have a clear grasp on that power for more than a full calendar year. That's the biggest fly in the ointment here. Kathy Hochul is up for a formal election on November 8th, 2020, 2022, just two days shy of the one-year anniversary that she was appointed to the vacant governor's seat. She has essentially one single calendar year to illustrate to the entire state of New York that she's fit to be more than just a placeholder and should be elected as a politician with a a real four-year term. The budget that she submits on April 1st could, in theory, be the only one she ever gets a chance to submit for approval as a sitting politician. And in that way, no matter what it contains, it has to be turned in on time. Because if she can't get that turned in, her political opponents are going to use that as evidence that she's not cut out to do this job. So far, all reports say that the preliminary version of the the budget have no language relating to a, a bill stadium deal. That's a problem. It worries me, and it should worry you, too. For anybody questioning why they can't just kick the can down the road till next year, I'll give you a bunch of reasons. One, considering the reason, the team would need at least a minimum of 200 to 250 days to come up with and execute a concrete solution to playing their 2023 season should they not land a stadium deal here. That means that they don't have the luxury of waiting until the 11th hour of April 1st, 2022. They're going to need to have started real preparations to go somewhere else and ensure that they have somewhere to play for 2023. Maybe that's Penn State. Maybe that's another state entirely. Waiting would essentially be playing a political game of chicken. There are signs that Kathy Hochul, given her previous governmental rank ahead of the appointment and her fundraising efforts this year, might be the prohibitive favor to win a full term as governor. But as we've, if the last decade has taught us anything, politics are fluid, and they can shock you sometimes. Should Hochul not win the next election, 
the team would be picking up and restarting incredibly detailed and nuanced negotiations with what could be an entirely new political entity with different motivations and maybe a desire not to start their career's greatest, what might be their career's greatest achievement by signing agreements they weren't a part of negotiating. Chris, we see that in politics all the time. People don't do things because they don't want, well, I don't want somebody else to get credit for that. I didn't do it. My stamp isn't on it, so I don't want it. It's horseshit, but it happens. I think I've painted a pretty real picture of the dangers here, don't you? Yeah, we're going to have to throw a clause in our next Blue Wire contract. (laughs) (laughs) As long as the Bills are playing in Buffalo, we produce a podcast for Blue Wire. I'll tell you this. If Blue Wire... It's a good question. Would you, as a fan... Still be able to support a Bills team that wasn't here. No. Me either. We t- I go back to that time, probably four years ago. Maybe. When, when we had, um, what's his name? Jeff Sinyard. Yeah. Writer from BoltsFromTheBlue.com, their SB Nation affiliate for the Chargers. When they moved, he not only quit as a blogger, he quit following the NFL altogether. And that's sad. But I understand it. He wrote a a really touching piece, which is what led to me having him on the show so we could pick his brain about how things fell apart and how the Bills might be in the same boat someday. And it's weird that now we're sitting here talking about it again. I don't know that I would be that different from Jeff. I don't know if I could do it. In fact, if anything, Chris, if the Bills were to leave Buffalo and we had already signed a contract with Blue Wire, we'd ride it out. Oh, we would ride it out. And that first season, our show would be dedicated to doing, like, youth, it would be, Chris, it would be our uh, hero and zero of the week. Just a whole show full of zero of the week. (laughs) It would just be that for an hour every single week. Even if no one was listening, you and I would still get together. I'd drink half a bottle of whiskey and we would still, we'd talk about that because I'm petty and this means a lot to me, and I don't think I'd be able to be an, a complete adult about how hurt I was by it. Now, obviously, I want to be able to look back five years from now and laugh about how pessimistic my tone was during this show. I want to look, I want to drive past the house that Josh Allen built and think about, this is amazing. And we're so lucky that all of our hand wringing during this period was for nothing. But for all the things I might be, a narcissist, a bloviator, a prolific verbal abuser, a poor, a poor dresser, douchebag, a petty and vindictive son of a bitch, I'm also a painfully devoted realist. In almost every situation in life, I try to, I maintain emotional stability throughout crisis by going into them having already accepted the worst possible outcome so that I can be pleasantly surprised if tragedy doesn't materialize and collected in the event that it does. And the reality here is that the tone from everybody involved has changed from early January when PSC said everything was friendly and warm. And Kathy Hochul was telling reporters, quote unquote, if Orchard Park is their first choice, their only choice, it's Orchard Park and we will make it happen. She's also publicly stated that she's confident that a deal could be in place by March. Which is less than two weeks away. All parties involved need to start showing signs of real progress. Anything. I don't care what. A leaked structure of the splits of debt ownership. New tax proposals. Even unpopular ones. Just give me something. 
And if you can't give me that and you can't make me feel better about this and you as a group between the state, the team, if you guys can't put this together and give us some semblance that you're moving still in the right direction, there still exists a chance that 2022 could be the final hurrah for the Buffalo Bills here in Western New York. Chris, let's raise a glass and toast to hopefully that not being how this story ends. Now that I've thoroughly bummed you guys out, we got to get out of here. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Kruger. This has been your Rock Power Report. Before we get out of here tonight, folks, I want to talk to you about a company we're going to partner with for the offseason. That's La Via Italia Pizza in the South Downs, Hamburg, New York. There are, it, we're not getting paid for this. It's literally a company that I utilize their product. <laughs> I think you'd all enjoy it. If you like Buffalo-style pizza, but you don't like the hassle of having to go to a pizzeria to get it or paying the pizzeria prices, it's great self-rising homemade pizza. Bakes in your oven in as little as 20 minutes. It's been a family recipe that they've used for over 30 years. They have fundraisers they do for local charities. They offer home delivery. You can go into their store and walk in and buy it. It's quality products with all homemade ingredients. There's no preservatives involved. It's the best frozen pizza you're going to get anywhere. You can't get anything like this in a store. And we have a promo code. If you go to their website and order online, ROCK10, R-O-C-K-10, gets you 10% off your first order. That's La Via Italia. You can find them at laviaitalia.net. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.